Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Friday morning, the 28th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The overhead alternating current link between the Irish and Northern Irish electricity grids is a critical infrastructure project for the island of Ireland. That's Minister Raymond Ryan talking up the north-south interconnector in the Dáil yesterday. It will be the backbone of a fit-for-purpose electricity system that will ensure energy security, that will allow more renewables to be used on the island, that will reduce the need to burn coal, gas and coal, that will reduce electricity costs and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So it seems it's a win-win north and south of the border. The, o- the AC overground backbone line effectively binds the two electricity grids, allowing the grids stabilise each other, providing instant support in the event of a power line or plant failing. It will provide system services and the sharing of renewable power. It is a- a big investment of more than 280 million euro and it will return great benefits but does it have to go underground? These benefits would otherwise have to be paid for by significant additional infrastructure which would involve technical com- 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 complexities would cost the consumer more and would result in additional greenhouse gas emissions. Does that mean that the cables can't run underground? If a DC underground cable were to be used, these benefits would not accrue. Minister Eamon Ryan told uh, the Dáil why the government has decided to proceed with this project overground. These were very, these very significant savings, estimated to be some 80 to 90 million euros per annum, Uh, are the main benefit of the project, allowing shared resources, shared stability and a more more robust, more cost-effective electricity system. The Minister explained why he's uh, decided against the underground option. A DC link would not provide these benefits and therefore would not realise a truly all-Ireland grid. But can't be forgotten, many people are very concerned about this project running overground. The concern of householders, farmers and communities have been fully considered and addressed at every stage of the development of the North-South Interconnector. And to those views, the Minister says, were taken into account by the planning processes and, he says, there's been an independent review of the project. The 2018 review, referred to by the Deputy, was an update by an international expert commission of their 2012 independent study to examine 
examine the technical feasibility and the cost of undergrounding the north-south interconnector. The Commission's term of reference for this update includes a consultation with the North East Pylon Pressure Campaign, the County Man and Anti-Pylon Committee and other bodies deemed necessary. Minister Eamon Ryan speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Let's speak now to Parik O'Reilly of uh, the aforementioned North East Pylon Pressure Campaign Group. A very good morning to you, Parik. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. You'd be forgiven for thinking that everybody, all of the community and indeed the campaign groups are on board at this stage listening to the Minister speak yesterday. Uh, good morning, Michael. You would indeed. Um, everything looks rosy in the garden if you're listening to Minister Ryan, but we've been hearing this for many, many years. And uh, unfortunately, nothing has changed. There is um, a, a, a load of misleading statements made yesterday that are totally incorrect and untruthful, in, in my view. And it doesn't bring this any further along. And um, it also contradicts totally uh, the approach that Airgrid are taking at the moment with every other project they have in the country. If what Mr. Minister Ryan is saying is correct about undergrounding and not being feasible, costing a lot more, uh, then why are all the other projects now going underground? Grid West in, 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 in the west of Ireland, uh, the Kildare Mead line, and the project in, in, in Dublin Mead. All of those have now been switched to undergrounding. So all the arguments he makes against it uh, can't, they can't have it both ways in terms of costs and, and feasibility. Uh, we seem to be the odd one out still, and, and many of the statements made are, are totally incorrect, particularly in relation to the, uh, the consultation that he, he claims he has had with, with the locals and with ourselves as a committee. Right. Uh, you say what the minister said in the Dáil in relation to that was untrue. Absolutely untrue. Um, and um, it, it's very frustrating and, and, and very misleading for him to make those statements that there was consultation and inputs from NEPPC or the County Monaghan Anti-Pilot Committee for the 2018 and the, or the 2021 report. We did seek to have an input. We requested uh, that the correct analysis and uh, terms of references be made, but we were totally ignored. Nice. We had no meeting with the Independent Expert Commission. We didn't even get as far as a meeting because the terms of reference were, were set up and sent out uh, without any involvement from our side. Right. And in fact, to make a, a total joke of it all, Michael, just before that uh, review in 2018 was taking place, uh, the government signed off on Airgrid going to procurement for the uh, for the project and uh, putting an order for the uh, design and construction of the pylons. It should be mentioned uh, that uh, Minister Ryan was responding uh, to Fianna Fáil TD for Cabin Monaghan, Brendan Smith. He did take questions from Darren O'Rourke of Sinn Féin as well, but uh, Brendan Smith... Uh, had a very different opinion to that of the minister. As I said, you'd be forgiven for thinking everybody was on board listening to Eamon Ryan when he was speaking there a few moments ago. But Brendan Smith was putting it to the minister that there's outright opposition to this project. Yes, and you know he has attended the meetings over the years, as indeed have as Darren O'Rourke and, and the other TDs, and they know full well that um, the landowners and the local communities have played a very straight bat on this for the last 15 years now. Always look for is, is a fair position on a- analysing the opportunity to underground the line. I mean, listening to the minister yesterday, Michael, you would also think, and this happens all the time, that this is a new 
a connection between the Republic and Northern Ireland. It's, it's, a, it's actually a second line. There is a line there already, and all the things that he claims are needed in terms of having the line overhead can be attached to the existing overhead line. It's a second line that's required. Uh, I note in his, his statement, too, that... Uh, he, you know, the, the, the old statement of uh, the lights will go out in Northern Ireland if this is not connected, etc. Mm. There's actually a surplus of electricity in Northern Ireland, according to Airgrid's own report, which has changed drastically from when they initially set out the, 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 this project. So none of the actual reality or the facts around this uh, are being taken on board. They are taking the position, same as they did in 2007, and although the world has moved on, they are not accepting that the undergrounding is possible or that the local communities are so set against it that it's just not going to happen. I mean, this is this is the frustrating thing. Where is this going to go? It's not going to happen under the current circumstances. Right. As you say, uh, there's been other projects. Uh, the cables have run underground. That's exactly one of uh, the points uh, that Brendan Smith made yesterday. He's, uh, he echoed many of the points uh, that you're making this morning. He said, we've seen projects in our own country that have gone underground. Why are we different in Monaghan, Cavan and Meath to the rest of the country? Were you surprised that a Fianna Fáil TD taking this position, appealing to the minister to rethink the government's decision saying it was wrong that the reports uh, were not uh, uh, comprehensive enough and that they uh, were not uh, the kind of reports that he would have expected to have gone into this given uh, the fact that it has been approved by the government and uh, we know that locally uh, government TD and junior minister Thomas Byrne is supporting that decision. I'm I'm not surprised, Michael, it, but it does show there's a total lack of consistency and um, a lack of strategy, you know, at, at government level. We are finding, in general, uh, individual TDs um, are, are supportive of the positioning for undergrounding, but it's not following through at, at government level. Um, uh, Brendan Smith has been supportive for many years um, and, and has taken that stance and has asked many, many parliamentary questions. You don't think well, that it's because... any weight at government level and, and at the end of the day that's, that doesn't get us any further. You don't think it's because Brendan Smith is on the back benches and if he objects to this project he'll remain on the back benches uh, which may be a, a different scenario for others like uh, Junior Minister Thomas Byrne. Uh, that's a possibility, Michael, but you have to look at um, uh, Minister Humphreys, um, who has come out very strongly against the government position, who, who is a sitting uh, minister. But she can't. Um, so if you take the coalition side, there hasn't been she, a consistent she, approach. She, she, she can't. In the case of Thomas Bourne... Um, sorry sorry um, to cut across you, Parag. I know she has stated uh, she's opposed to this, but she can't. It's a government decision. The government makes decisions as a collective. She's a member of the government. It's her decision. Well then, well then, why come out with the statement she has looking for know. a change in position? I don't know. I, I mean, think I, I think maybe um, the Taoiseach or, or, or somebody like that uh, should ask her that question uh, because uh, she has to be responsible for all government decisions, doesn't she? She has to be responsible for all government decisions, Michael. But then uh, I come back to the point: why make why make that statement? Uh, you know, is it just playing playing politics with with the local communities, or is it genuine? No, I think that's yeah. the question that has to be asked. 
in, in the case of well, Thomas it is, Gordon, it, it is it's a very different situation. Yeah, well, I think. well it, it is. Sorry, just to say with Heather Humphreys, it is, isn't it? It has to be playing politics with the local community uh, because uh, it is her decision. She's saying she's opposing her decision. I, I, I'm surprised that somebody uh, in Cabinet, uh, the uh, chair of Cabinet, uh, Leo Radker, the Taoiseach, uh, isn't taking her to task about undermining government decisions given that she's a member of the government and it's her decision. Uh, but I, I, I don't understand why uh, a member of the government is allowed to do that or, or, or why she's allowed to play with communities because there, there can't be any other explanation for somebody opposing their own decision. Thomas Byrne is different in that he's not a member of the Cabinet. He doesn't own this decision, but he's accepted it. Um, I, I agree totally on everything you've just said, uh, Michael. It, it does. Uh, it can be only playing politics if there is no follow-through. The question is, will she follow through on that? And I think you know, the jury is out on whether there will be any follow-up. We've requested that she follow throughs on that and, and, and re, you know, reopen the, the, the decision by the minister or put pressure on them. If she doesn't do any of that, it's absolutely playing politics with local communities. And, and particularly in Monon, which is likely to be the first area that Airgrid will try and construct construct the project. Because when government makes a decision, that means all of the government ministers who are members of the cabinet have uh, agreed, uh, or uh, at least uh, they haven't resigned, uh, which means that publicly they agree because the decision is a decision of the government. No one member of the government can publicly undermine that decision. Correct, Michael. So, so again, and you can take it to to Brendan Smith as well as a TD. You know, there is no alignment across the party. The decision seems to be made at you know at executive level, mm. as it were, and the individual TDs affected and the ministers in the in those constituencies do not support it, but are not acting collectively. And on on, on the last. A discussion we had this in the radio. We called for the the TDs and the ministers across the northeast, Mead, Cavan, and Monaghan, to come together and have a, a single, mm. a unified position on this. Okay. Do you think that Thomas that Burns? Do you think that Thomas Burns' decision uh, to accept the government's decision is a career decision? In in my view and in the committee's view, and I think uh, we'll let the farmers and the local communities make their own decision, but but absolutely it is. And what about Damien English? We haven't heard, of, we, we, as you know, uh, Damien English went to ground after he was disgraced out of office uh, because of a, a planning application uh, and he hasn't spoken anywhere publicly since then uh, and uh, because we didn't expect the Minister to speak publicly we put a, a number of questions to him in writing. We were promised a response I can't remember how many weeks ago it was uh, because it was so long ago but there hasn't been a, a word from the Minister or I beg your pardon uh, the TD as he is because he's no longer a Minister, Damien English. Yeah, well I guess I guess we can't comment on, on, on Damien English until he makes a statement in this matter. And but I think he's he will still a TD. Stage, but until but he, he is, does, he at is least still the a jury TD. Out, in, in fairness to him. But he is still a TD. We're being overly fair, but in, in Thomas Burns... Oh, I think you are being overly fair. I mean, why? where is the TD representing the people of Meath? Well, uh, Michael, I mean, there are many other TDs who haven't, who haven't come, you know, stepped up to the plate here yet. It's not just Damien English. And uh, I would say... The reason for that is it's been a very quiet time for the last two years. We've had COVID and everything else. Yeah. Some of them think this is going to pass over and, and they won't need to get involved. 
I think collectively all of them will have to will have to face up to this at some stage. We're not being easy in any specific TD one or other, but we're just waiting for the timing when this starts to to move up a gear, and then we see who's really supporting and who isn't. Um, in the case of, of of Thomas Bourne, he is the one person who, uh, when in opposition, uh, made a statement that he would never commit something in opposition that he that he wouldn't deliver in government. And the um, the 2018 review and this 2021 review uh, are completely the opposite of what he committed to do. So it's very clear in his case that he's he's sold out on the he says and the others we so, wait and see. Okay, he says otherwise. He says uh, he committed to a review, a review, a review. Yeah, but the review was of no advice not what he committed to and it's totally I mean of all of the statements made in the last few weeks what he has stated is is absolutely the worst in terms of support to the project and to any PPC the others we will wait and see what actually plays out when the time comes Okay, Parik we'll leave it there for now thank you as always Parik O'Reilly spokesperson for the North East Pile and Pressure Campaign Group Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM In hindsight and given the focus and perception amongst some that has arisen in 2023, some 15 years later, it would have been better had I not participated in the local area committee meeting in January of 2007, even though it is absolutely clear that my wife did not benefit in any way from my attendance at the January 2007 meeting. However, when I did attend, it was my full understanding, and it remains the same today, that I was not participating in a discussion or a decision that in any way contravened the 2001 Local Government Act. No law was broken. I did not participate in any decision that authorised the sale of this land. This could only be done by the full County Council in accordance with the statutory process. This occurred more than 18 months later when I was no longer a member of Limerick County Council. No law was broken. That's Minister Niall Collins giving his statement uh, to the Dáil yesterday evening. And, of course, the opposition weren't happy because he didn't take questions, but he didn't do anything wrong. Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media News, is a columnist as well for the Mead Chronicle, and he joins us on the line. Gavin, don't mind that for a minute. Is the ditch trying to bring the government down? Um, they probably are, but are they not allowed to? Um, it, it was a curious thing that, that Micheál Martin did yesterday, where when all the questions were put to him about the substance of what Matt Collins may or may not have done, that he didn't really get into any of it, that he effectively just kind of said that this whole thing and that, that the opposition TDs who were uh, trying to raise this in the Dáil, that they were all effectively uh, playing to the gallery that had been instigated by the ditch and that the ditch couldn't be considered a kind of an independent arbiter or it couldn't be considered perhaps agenda-free in the way that other news outlets might be, that it hasn't clearly stated, he believes, uh, ethos or purpose of trying to bring down the government. But it, is that not their entitlement? Mm. Are they not completely allowed to? Uh, like we, we are maybe somewhat unusual in Ireland in that our newspapers, broadly speaking, with, with a couple of exceptions, they don't take avowed party political positions. They don't explicitly say that they are pro-government or anti-government or pro or anti uh, any parties by and large, obviously a couple of exceptions. Yep. Um, so just because we, we are used to this idea where 
uh, newspapers aren't explicitly trying to pursue an agenda um, doesn't mean that it's illegitimate for media outlets that aren't kind of and like... And this is a political website that probably has an agenda and he might be right in saying that uh, but he went further, didn't he, saying that their story on Niall Collins was misleading. Misleading in yeah. the extreme, really. Yeah, well, well he, he says misleading in the extreme and certainly, and I don't say this with any kind of attempt to to try and impute or to take away from the reporting that the stitch has done because they've clearly uncovered something material here and they deserve to be uh, given their full credit for that. Mio Martin did have an element of truth in what he said about the, the nature of the ditches reported the original reporting last week about all of this where it first raised questions about Donald Collins and his actions because um, there, there were more steps to the process than merely the meeting in 2007 where Niall Collins was a participant and where they, where they discussed selling the land uh, having received a request to buy it from his own wife. Um, because there was further elements down the road, there was a full council meeting in 2008 which would have disposed of the land. That's what you heard Don Collins refer to just there a moment ago. So there were more elements to the process than were reflected in the ditches reporting. So you, you could objectively say that, that there was perhaps more nuance to it than mm. the first article would have given rise to. Um, but... They, they, he didn't get away from the, from the truth of of the the, the the ditch having uncovered something germane, something fundamental. That there was a, there was a, a significant kernel of truth and and of significant public interest in what the ditch had reported. And what was very curious was that Michael Martin, in the course of two sets of uh, queries yesterday at leaders' questions from both Holly Cairns and Paul Murphy, didn't go anywhere near addressing that. It was entirely. She, you can't, you, like, yeah. if you guys are looking for a Q&A, you're basically saying to the gallery, you, you are unwitting participants in a party political campaign that's been instigated by this website, and you should know that you are acting at the behest of people who want to bring the government down, which, to be fair, mm. is, is not really much of a slam-dunk uh, accusation when you're talking to opposition parties who, by their nature, also want to bring the government down. <laughs> I suppose that's <laughs> like, a like, joke, If yeah. you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, effectively mm, what he was yeah. saying was, you guys are unwitting warriors in a propaganda war waged mm. by people who want to bring down the government. It's, and you're saying that to people who are sitting on the opposite side of the doll floor to you. Like, it's it's not really the, the 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 intellectual slam dunk that he might have thought it was. I don't know about you, but it's a long time since I last saw Michal Martin as animated as he was yesterday, uh, as passionate as he was yesterday. Uh, and I can't help wondering this morning if the objective was that the first question was uh, not about Niall Collins, but if the ditch is trying to bring the government down. So yeah, yeah, possibly, possibly so. And it's sorry to interrupt you, but like, yeah. I suppose that there is a, like a, an interesting angle to this, where that effectively there hasn't been any any mainstream or or any top level sort of political critique of the ditch or of the motivations of its founders or its benefactors or its backers. And, and what was fascinating was that after a week of and I have to be honest, I'm not saying this as a kind of a criticism, but after a week where there was an awful lot of criticism of the mainstream media for apparently not following up on this story, which it wasn't that it was being ignored, it was just there was legal sensitivities that you made, you needed to make sure you had your ducks in a row before you repeated allegations as serious as the question that Malcolm has may have broken the law. Um, but after f- five days where the, the online discourse had been very much pro-ditch and anti-everyone else, it was maybe an overcorrection on Michael Martin's part, but it does now mean that when you look at some of the, the conversations that have been happening since then, there has been a lot more voice given to criticism of the ditch and whether it can be considered to be an impartial arbiter, notwithstanding the fact that in this instance, as it did with 
Damien English and Robert Troy that it has found something of substance and deserves to be credited for that. And what about Niall Collins? Uh, he didn't take questions, uh, but he did concede that with the benefit of hindsight, he should have acted differently. Yeah, but it was a kind of a qualified should have acted differently because it was in hindsight, given the way that people are now taking it up, given the focus that has been put on it by some, it, it would have been better had I, uh, you know, recused myself. It, it's sort of one of those situations where uh, you, I'm trying to think of a parallel. Like you, you go on a family, like you decide to bring the kids to Disney World and then the queues are really long and you sort of, you have a, a couple of ropey couple of hours and the kids aren't enjoying it. And you go, God, in hindsight, we never should have come to Disney World. <laughs> and it's that kind of a thing where like you're, you're not really saying you shouldn't have come. It's a sort of a, well, if I'd known you were going to be like this, I would have done it differently. But he doesn't appear to be accepting that there was a fundamental error of judgment on his own part. He's merely saying, you know, I, I would rather it not have been seen this way. And therefore, as regards optics, I really should have opted out. I think the question is, is more than merely one of optics. There's, there's one of substance in that, although there is no record of him having been any active participant or having made any active contribution at the meeting, the very fact that he was there as one of a select group of seven councillors where they were discussing the sale of land that he knew his wife had written looking to buy yeah. and that he didn't even merely put his hand up and say, lads, just for the record, I, you know, my, my spouse has an interest in this, yeah. so I just need to have it noted that I'm recusing myself for optics. His wife, Dr. Eamon O'Connor, really did get a, a great deal buying the site for 148000 God knows where it's worth now, two and a half, three million euro, quite possibly, and you'd wonder if that is the end of it, or will it be examined further? I think Paul Murphy is talking about referring it to, to SIPO, the Standards in Public Office. Yeah, which which means that it's not over, but it, it sort of means that unless TDs still want to pursue it again when the doll rises again, because don't forget we're going into a long weekend, which means the doll doesn't sit on Tuesday either. So it's going to be Wednesday afternoon before the doll is back again. And if opposition TDs still believe that it's a major issue then, and they want to pursue further accountability of Collins and to sound out um, the, the prospect of, of having him take further questions, mm. then that, that's a story for, for five days' time. But in the meantime... Yes, referring it to SIPO, it, it does mean that the story is not over, that it, it's certainly not the case that Niall Collins' explanation is universally accepted. Um, but it, it does mean that it's sort of kicked into the long grass, because do remember that when we had the controversy a couple of months ago about Pascal Donoghue and the, the electoral donations in kind that he received from a local businessman and whether that was disclosed yeah. and all of that, a, a, a complaint was referred to SIPO at that time. And, and at this point, a couple of months later, we don't even know for certain whether SIPO has escalated that to the status of full inquiry. What SIPO does when it receives a referral like this is that it conducts a kind of a preliminary assessment to see whether this is some, whether it basically warrants a full mm. case. And only after they've decided is it a full case that they then go to fully escalating it and then having some public hearings and having a kind of a full, full, um, proper, thorough investigation where they turn over all the stones and see what there is underneath. Mm. So if, if it's taken a couple of months at least to get this far, on Pascal Donahue, we still haven't heard whether they will escalate to a full inquiry. Well, I think that probably would like, take a couple of years with Pascal yeah, Donahue. Well, yeah. yeah. that, that's basically yeah. it. Like you might remember mm. a prime time discussion mm-hmm. before about uh, councillors who were soliciting money in mm. favour for backing certain projects, and it took years and years and years before mm. there was a formal adverse finding. The so, other thing, so the, other, the there, other interesting thing about this, uh, I think, is what happens with Niall Collins now. I, I mean, even if you were to assume that that no law was broken, nothing unethical happened, everything is great. It hasn't been put to bed and the minister uh, should be accountable 
to the public. Is he going to go to ground now or will he be giving interviews? Because if he gives interviews, he's going to be asked about this and so on. In the way that we were talking about Damien English uh, a little bit earlier on in the programme, uh, who was very vocal over 20 years about the North-South Interconnector, hasn't had a word to, to say about it since because uh, he hasn't been seen or heard of since he was disgraced out of office. But uh, at the same time, uh, his uh, personal secretary promised us at least a written statement on it weeks ago, but we still haven't heard anything. These people aren't accountable. They've been elected. They're well paid. Uh, and that's no way to run the country, is it? Well, it's fascinating to know that you've had that level of difficulty because, of course, the first port of call for any TD outside of a, uh, outside of a city is always to speak to, to, to you or to the, the comparable um, programme on a comparable station uh, elsewhere in the country. So it's fascinating to know that, that even you've had difficulty trying to get anything out of him. Uh, one thing to, to note about Noel Collins is that, as far as I'm aware, he has only done one media appearance since the controversy uh, seven or eight weeks ago about the circumstances of his uh, planning commission, parallel controversy, if you like, uh, to that over which Damien English resigned. And that was on the Tonight Show on my own channel, Virgin Media Television, and mm. he was uh, nominated as a kind of a government rep to go on a panel, as far as I can remember, about other things entirely. But while he was there, Claire Brock gave him the grilling about, well, hang on, what were your circumstances? There are still issues to be addressed there. And Nile Collins didn't get away with it very easily. And I think what that probably illustrates is that Nile Collins isn't really going to be able to do very much without people wanting to raise further question about his account of things. And for as long as he has uh, managed to avoid door questioning, it's the sort of thing which is always going to linger there. By comparison, you might say, when Pascal Donoghue uh, was, was dragged in over his various electoral issues, eventually he took his questions and answer session. And fair enough, people may not have liked his answers, but they got answers out of him. He stuck to a story and it may have uh, struck people as being somewhat mm. implausible or unlikely. He can say, I answered the questions. He took the questions mm. and it sort of meant that he's been able to do media appearances since without anyone really feeling like it's a thing that, that justifies going at again because they know where he stands and it's now being investigated. And Niall Collins hasn't done that. He's done one media appearance. It was brought up again. He didn't have an easy time with us. And, and I suspect that we might get into a situation now where Niall Collins is effectively unable to do anything in the media or, or do anything really in any public realm without people wanting to raise this again. And that may in its own way raise questions as to how tenable this position is in the long term. Gavin. Thanks a million. Good to talk to you as always. Gavin Riley, political correspondent for Virgin Media News and also a columnist with The Mead Chronicle. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Well, the government, as you know, has referred the review by Barrister Marie O'Shea into abortion services uh, to the Health Committee. There's two strands, really, to her report, uh, to put it simply. One is uh, to improve existing services under the law as it stands. The second strand is to change the existing laws so that abortion is more accessible. Let's uh, speak uh, to Neve Griffin, who's health correspondent with the Irish Examiner. Good morning to you, Neve, and thanks as always for welcome. joining us on uh, the programme. No, uh, thanks for having us on. You're very welcome. I was speaking to Sinn Féin's uh, David Cullinan, and he was saying to us yesterday that he hopes there won't be an unholy row at the Health Committee about this, and uh, I'm sure that that won't be the case. Uh, but when it comes to changing the laws on abortion, uh, I think we can expect an unholy raw, uh, row outside of the health committee. Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, we're seeing that already. I think Peter Leah Bradker said, has already said he thinks he would be reluctant and uncomfortable to make changes to the law. And that was uh, met yesterday by groups like uh, Do- Doctors for Choice and Action for Choice as a troubling intervention 
you know, to, to, to have that stance before the health committee even get to begin the discussion. So there's definitely divisions among people who maybe didn't expect Miss O'Shea, the barrister um, Marie O'Shea's uh, review to be so comprehensive. Mm which was maybe a mistake when you ask a barrister to do something. She's going to do a fairly detailed job. Because it it will be down to the government uh, to make the final decision on this. Uh, Mm -hmm. Marie O'Shea has uh, published her, or yeah, she's produced her report uh, and her recommendations with it. Uh, The Health Committee will now look at that and uh, make their own recommendations to government. But the government can reject all of it. Uh, Yes, they can indeed. They can indeed. Um, and the the lines, as you say, are being being drawn quite clearly already. There were doctors have talked about the uh, mandatory three day uh, waiting period being that there's no medical evidence for this, and that's indeed something that Maria Shea has recommended be removed from the legislation. So that's one of the the issues you said that would mm. would be changed. And there's a lot of concern about that, that it's causing delays in parts of the country where there may be fewer GPs offering medical abortions so that women are coming up closer and closer to that 12-week cut-off point, you know. Mm. And then they've another three days to wait after they've already had two GP visits. Mm. And so there's concern about that on one side, but then obviously uh, Tisha Clear-Vradker saying he's reluctant to to make Mm. any changes. And I can understand Michal Martin the same, I think, and I can understand to some extent uh, that they were the people who put safeguards in place and asked people to vote on those Mm -hmm. safeguards as part of the legislation. And they may feel that they have a commitment to the electorate, but it gets all the more complicated because even if, let's say, new legislation comes in which gets rid of uh, the three-day mandatory wait, and then it has to be voted on in the Dáil. Uh, you could say it's not even up to the government, it's up to the Parliament, to the Dáil, because there'll be a free vote for many of uh, the TDs. Yes, that's right, because it's, it's an issue of conscience. And I mean, there's other practical issues as well, aside from the, the three-day wait. Um, they Only so far 11 of the 19 maternity units are offering the service. So in one way, we're, we're sort of talking in the abstract about expanding it when actually the, what was envisaged at the start still isn't a reality for women in many counties. Mm. Yeah, the Taoiseach said to uh, TDs earlier this week that he hopes uh, to have that turned around by the end of this year or early next mm. year. Uh, do you think that will be the case? Uh, I don't think so, really, based on what the doctors are saying about it. Like Dr. Mary Favier from Doctors for Choice said yesterday she's aware of one hospital where there are only four obstetricians and none of them are providing termination of pregnancy on religious grounds. And she was calling for a mandate from the health minister to make change happen or, you know, to, to give women in those areas access. But, you know, it's been a number of years already and 11 out of 9, that's 8 of the hospitals. It's a significant number mm. and they're really not offering the service. Like, what do you do? Do you do, changing. Honestly, what do you do in a circumstance like that? Uh, because uh, the laws it stands allows for conscientious objection. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you change yeah. that, um, do you sack them? Well... I don't think any, I don't know, mm. I, I wouldn't certainly or, be or, arguing or for that. Yeah. Mm. Maybe more do, more consultants mm. so that you have a range of views in every hospital. Yeah. Maybe a hospital should be obligated to have at least one consultant on staff. Maybe redeploy Is, some of the consultants. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. I mean, the hospitals all work in groups, don't they? So, yeah. um, you know, just, just to have one person in mm. each hospital providing that service locally. Mm. 
because it, um, it's a national health service uh, and yes, the services yeah. should be identical no matter where you live in the country. It shouldn't be a, a geographical lottery. Yeah, which, I mean, unfortunately at the moment, that's the way it is, even outside of, because the, the hospital's not offering the service, Michael, then has a knock-on effect because it makes GPs reluctant to offer the medical abortions, which are just with a tablet. Mm. But you kind of want to have the hospital as backup just in case, you know. Yeah. So if you look, there were maps produced over the last few days about the coverage of GPs. So Loud, for example, there's 11 GPs offering it. Meads, there's 12 GPs offering it. But then you go somewhere like Cork and there's 69 offering it. Right. Or Dublin, there's uh, Wicklow, there's 21 um, Leach, or oh, mm. Leachum is only four, but Leachum is smaller. So, you know, there's a great disparity and yeah. that's linked really to the hospitals behind us, you well, know. Well, but, but abortion uh, is available in the Lourdes Hospital, isn't it? In Drogheda, it's hard yeah, to understand why. Maybe people just, I don't know. Right. Uh, I take it when you go to Donegal, the numbers are even less uh, because... Uh, yeah, one of the maps there is showing 15, but by population, that's one GP for every 11,000 Right. Um, people. So, you know, and Donegal, as we know, is a huge county. So mm. there's a long distance. I think again yesterday at this uh, conference organised by the Women's Council, they were talking about um, a woman uh, because of the bus service, which also isn't great in rural mm. areas. So she missed, you have to have two GP visits and she missed the second visit because the bus just didn't show up. So then she wasn't able to go through the whole process. You know, so there's. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I really don't you know, know what to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so it's very tricky. There's very few health appointments where you have to have two GP visits plus a mandatory three day wait to get it. Yeah. But then, as you said, that's what people voted for. Mm. Or go so to the doctor, and 90% of doctors don't provide the service. Yeah, I mean, that's what some advocates are calling for that it would be a voluntary waiting period. So if the doctor assesses the woman and, and feels, oh, you know, she's not sure, she needs mm. time, but then maybe someone else is 100% ready. And, you know, people are trying to, to get out of the house. Maybe they're in abusive relationships. Maybe they have children already. They can't get childcare for three visits. It's uh, it's quite complex, I think, the, the picture. Yeah, and I think it's probably going to run for some time. Would you agree? Uh, oh, I would imagine so. I mean, the health committee uh, already are very busy. Like they, I'm sure David Cullinan said this that they mm. they look at a whole range of issues, including actually safe access zones are being looked at for abortion, and you know they're they're across the health service. And it's now the end of April, and July is holiday time. I oh, think, yeah. even though mm. they wouldn't like me to say holidays, mm. but. You know, you're probably really looking at later this year, aren't you, for that discussion? Oh, my God. Right, here we go again. Thank yeah. you indeed, Neve. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. That's Neve Griffin, who is the health correspondent with the Irish Examiner. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, a uh, uh, number of texts uh, from people uh, about uh, abortion. Uh, somebody saying uh, that Leo Bradker knows uh, the public uh, don't want uh, abortion, talking uh, about statistics and all sorts of things. Uh, I think uh, 
the opposite is completely true uh, because people voted in a referendum for that uh, to repeal the eighth. Uh, we'd a WhatsApp message uh, in the same vein uh, from somebody who says there's no need uh, for abortion, uh, not with all of these morning after pills, just use them instead, I think, is Rose's idea. Uh, she doesn't like the idea of uh, abortion, but I suppose uh, people voted for it, Rose, uh, and we live in a democracy. Another WhatsApp message uh, from somebody in relation to Niall Collins. We had a number of texts uh, about Niall Collins. One uh, from uh, somebody on WhatsApp, as I say, who says the other problem is that the site was sold to his wife on the understanding that a medical centre was going to be built. Then there was a change of use and that made it more valuable. Most likely did. There was a 10-year gap as well, as I understand it. Uh, But thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, Navin listener says, Michael Damien English was in the doll, nodding his head in agreement with Joe Biden, who was talking about honesty and integrity in public office. Thank you indeed uh, for uh, bringing that to our attention. Paddy Duffy says, as for Niall Collins, if it quacks like a duck, well, I suppose it is a duck. Thank you, Paddy, as always, uh, for your cynicism. Now, uh, let's uh, go to uh, leaders' questions in the Dáil yesterday because Niall Collins was <laughs> the subject of much heated debate before he made his statement. Let's start with uh, the leader of uh, the Social Democrats, Holly Kearns, who wanted to know why the government wasn't, or why Niall Collins, more to the point, wasn't going to take questions from the opposition. Tishak, you and other coalition leaders have given Deputy Collins your full support. You've all said no laws were broken and, in effect, that there's nothing to see here. So if the matter is so straightforward, I'm wondering why refuse the opposition to question Deputy Collins? It's the job of opposition to hold ministers and government to account. The opposition has a really important role to play in our democracy in doing so. So to understand my questions are, why is there one rule for Niall Collins and another for other members of your government and your party? Do you agree with the Taoiseach that questions and answer sessions turn the doll into a kangaroo court? The Taoiseach Michal Martin responded saying Minister Collins had already explained himself, but he said there is more to this story. And I think it's important that the full story is told in all of this, because of course at the outset of this the full story was not told. Um, And you referenced, for example, the the planning questions that were raised. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Initially in the ditch, and when I read that in the ditch first, I got the distinct impression that the application went in in a false name. I left reading that article with the distinct impression that there was a false advertisement put on a newspaper. Both false. The innuendo was left there, very strongly. That's how the article was written, deliberately. Uh, and it has more to do with undermining character and reputation than anything else. Um, and um, I think that deserves scrutiny too from the House. How these campaigns are developing. How the orchestration of these campaigns. Uh, and I don't think this House should be a slave or should be facilitating political campaigns. Strong stuff from me, Hall Martin, but just hold on a second. The Tánaiste is only warming up here. I don't see the ditch as an independent media platform at all. Paddy Cosgrave does. Paddy Cosgrave is a backer. Shea Bowes was a founding member of the ditch. Shea Bowes is quoted on Russia Today. The Russian ambassador is full of praise for Shea Bowles for his characterization of the Russian war on Ukraine as a, a NATO, as a NATO EU organized war. And he was a founding member of On the Ditch. So I'm a fair person. I've been a member of this house for a long, long time. But the world of politics has changed. I understand what has changed. I know what's going on here. In terms of the broader political world, we should not be slaves to it. I would respect it, said Deputy, neither should you. And legitimate questions can be asked. But if you look at that whole campaign and how it's organised over the last week, it deserves analysis. It deserves analysis. The trending, the build-up, the hashtags, the algorithms, the paid ads, the berating, the berating of media for daring not to discuss it or cover it. Extraordinary full frontal attacks on the national broadcaster, on other TVs and other media for not Thank following the trending operations. So I have issues with that, Deputy, and that's why I genuinely say that the political world has changed now. Uh, and I know where, the, as far as I can see, can see here, and I can quote various um, quotations from, from, from those who back the ditch, this is a political campaign. That's me, Hall Martin. I don't think it was uh, the response Holly Kearns was expecting. I'm not asking you about the ditch publication um, and your opinion on the ditch. Holly Kearns had asked why Niall Collins would not take questions from the opposition. Now we're told even responding to questions is too high a bar. So to understand, this isn't about political scalps. This is about political accountability. Why is there a different rule for Niall Collins and for everybody else? I've given you the political context, and you, you, you said that public confidence in our political system 
To me, that's the purpose of the various campaigns that have happened in recent times. Orchestrated and organized. I'm answering the question, Deputy. I'm saying the political context has changed. This is a political organization attacking government and wanting to undermine confidence in government. That's what's going on here. So we're entitled now to respond. As far as I'm concerned, I'm fully, fully cognizant of what's going on here. And I see this now, I see this now through a totally different prism. Sorry, I, I, see this, I see this through a totally different prism. How all of this has been organized, set up, um, and I, you know, by people who are very clear in their campaign against me, against my party, um, and, and who set this up. I mean, you, you can see it um, and, um, in, in all of the, co the comments uh, that, that had been made. I mean, Paddy Cosgrave's post earlier this year, and he's a strong supporter, and has deep connections between the Web Summit, Paddy Cosgrave, and this organization. And what did he say? Maybe it's time to body bag. It's a tweet. A few minions in media, civil service, charities, Judiciary, private sector. We're not facilitating Time this. Time is up. That's the answer. Uh, to to please. We're not going to facilitate this. You're slavishly following it. You're slavishly following this agenda here. I, I accept your bona fides as a deputy. Don't get me wrong. But it's only when, it's only when, when, when the thing came to a crescendo during the week that all the questions start coming in. You're part of it. You're being inadvertently dragged into it, in my view. But that's, that's my view on it now. There's a lot of issues around this that need interrogation. Can we return to a little Holly Cairns wasn't winning much ground with Hall Martin, so then it was Paul Murphy's turn. Taoiseach, that was quite an incredible display of bluff, of bluster, and of attempted distraction of what's been happening here. He didn't answer any of the questions. So Taoiseach, why has your government, with the support of the so-called independents, voted to block any questioning of Minister Niall Collins? And there are some very serious questions that Paul Murphy, Holly Kearns and others want to put to Niall Collins. How can he remain as a minister? His wife bought the land from the council for €148,000. She's reportedly in the process of setting it back to the council. That will be for an amount, many multiples of that. Thank you, he used his position on the council, not for the benefit of the public that elected him, but for the enrichment of his own family. It smells like the same old sleeving behaviour the same old stroke politics of Fianna Fáil, starring a brazen gombean always with his eye on the main chance. Bertie is back, this old muck is too, and that's why you're trying to cover it up. There's nothing to cover up. And that's why, by the way, you've made your decision. You've made your mind up a long time ago. I saw you in prime time last week. You've labelled, essentially, to all intents and purposes, Deputy Collins as corrupt and committing a criminal offence. To all intents and purposes, yeah, yeah. So what, so what questions do you want to ask then? You've made up your mind. Stop now, once through the chair. If I may say through the chair. If I may say through the chair that the area local election committee, or the area committee, the Brough area committee, has no statutory authority, had none at the time, in terms of disposing of a property. It's the first fact. So there was no pecuniary or beneficial interest in the land on behalf of Niall Collins or indeed his wife. None at that time. None at that time. Uh, now, Collins has done nothing wrong, has the ditch. I didn't engage in bluff earlier, Deputy, because I, I'm very clear about this, and I'm very clear viewed now through the chair um, that this has been going on for quite some time. There's been attempted character assassinations of many politicians in this house, of many political parties. If they're not the same political orientation of those who back on the ditch, good friends of yours in terms of political philosophy and political ideology. No question about that. 
and the selective and distorted way that stories are originated and presented leaves an awful lot to be desired. This is a political organization. That's my point. Uh, and the whole agenda is create the campaign, get to the paid ads, get it, get it trending, attack media if they don't cover it, and then we get into the dial for questions and answers. Well, we'll take our call on this, we'll make our judgment call on this as to the balance in terms of how we approach it in terms of dial questions and so on like that. But I'm very clear on what's going on here. There's a political organisation out there. It's not an independent uh, media platform by any stretch of the imagination, nor should it, anyone even suggest that it is. Because if you read all the tweets of Paddy Cosgrave or Shea Bowes in respect of myself or in respect of other political leaders on this side of the House, it's very clear their agenda is to take down the government. That's fine. That's certain title to have that. But I understand what it is. But I'm not going to facilitate it every week in and out here in Dial So there you have it, Michal Martin's interpretation of what the story is. It's not if Niall Collins did anything wrong. It's that the ditch is claiming that he did something wrong because the ditch is trying to take the government down. Taoiseach, without the ditch, Robert Troy would still be a minister. Without the ditch, Damien English would still be a minister. No wonder you're attempting to undermine the ditch because the ditch has been quite successful in exposing corrupt, unethical practices by ministers in your government and in your party. Michal Martin didn't take Paul Murphy's bait and he continued to undermine the ditch and its motivation for reporting the Niall Collins story. And I, I have to say, it's very clear to me that Shea Bowes is a political opponent to the government. Paddy Cosgrave is a political opponent to the government. They're behind. I, I mean, I'd love to know who's funding the ditch in its entirety. They partly fund it. Who else is funding it? Because they have no advertising, no subscriptions. Did, ever, did you have a question through the chair? Who's funding all of this? And what really alarms me is the Russian embassy in Ireland praised Shea Bowes in February 2023 with a tweet on his essay, and I read the essay, blaming the West for the war in Ukraine, and they quote, an extensive analysis of the proxy war raged by the United States, EU and NATO against Russia in Ukraine by at Bowes Shea, an independent, an independent journalist from Ireland, who then a few weeks ago on the 9th of April turns up on RT India, where a caption referred to him as Russia Today, a correspondent. Now, that's what's behind on the ditch, lads. And I pose the question to the entire dial. Is it our function to slavishly follow its agenda all of the time? I'd ask for a reflection on that. All right. Make up your own mind. Is the story Niall Collins or is the story The Ditch? 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. If you were listening to the programme yesterday, you might have heard Independent TD for Loud and East Meath, Peter Fitzpatrick, speaking in The Doll, and he told the story uh, about a young man in Dundalk who's earning €400 a week working as an apprentice electrician who's gone to the Simon communities looking for accommodation or looking for help to find somewhere to live. Peter Fitzpatrick is on the line with us. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. How has this young man found himself in this situation? Michael, the the biggest problem we have at the moment, Michael, is there's a lack of housing at the moment and if you look at it, the prices are far too high. I looked at daft.ie before we come on to your programme this morning. There's 13 uh, houses and apartments available in the dock ranging between 1,200 euros and 2,000 euros. A young fellow, a young, young apprentice, you know yourself, Michael, only range between maybe 16 and 20,000 a year. 
this young lymphatic nutrition is was earning four hundred euros a year with two siblings. Like where like you want to be earning a minimum of seventeen thousand euros a year just to pay your rent. Mm. And it, it, that, that, that's that's a serious amount of money. And it, it's just very, very, very unfair. But is there not a, a one bedroom apartment available somewhere or a room in a house that you share? Michael, I'm my consistency office as I speak. There's a minimum of ten people in my consistency office. Nine out of them ten people we all looking for uh, accommodations. There's absolutely nothing available. I mean nothing. I ring all the agencies in, in the dark and surrounding areas, uh, uh, even the Lloyd County Council. And in fairness to the to, to the to the council, especially the homeless there at the moment, they have a breaking point. There's absolutely nothing. I have people coming to my consistency office this week that's sleeping in the back of the test coming in dog. They're sleeping in the back of the of the swimming pool in the dog. But the simple reason is there's a heating system on there at night time and it's blowing out there. I, 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 people's going to have to start realizing that. There's, there's, there's a pandemic on at the moment. I have never, ever, ever in my 12 years or 13 years as a politician seen things as bad. It, and, are, it's, and it's getting worse and worse. Are, are, are they people uh, with drug addictions or alcoholics or, or something like that? Because, I mean, even if you're unemployed, you should be able to afford somewhere to live. Most of these people, Michael, would be homeless. Uh, most of them probably had addictions at some stage, mm. and the addictions that they're trying to get themselves back on the road. But I don't but understand I, I, how a working person—I mean, someone uh, who's trying to better themselves, taking up an apprenticeship, uh, and hoping to become an electrician uh, and contribute to society—how they can't uh, are four hundred euro a week. Uh, I mean, I know it's not the biggest money in the world, but how can you not afford somewhere to live on four hundred euro a week? It's impossible to get anything for a single person in the area for less than 1,200 euros a, a month. So that's, no, that's basically 300 euros a week. So if they pay that 1,200 euros a month, and there's no place to get for 1,200 euros a month, because I believe one and two bedroom houses in my area here at the moment has gone to 1,500 to 2,000. Now you imagine having 400 euros a week, you're spending 300 euros a week, uh, a week on paying your rent, and actually when you're an apprentice and that day you have to travel, you have to get a bit of food, you have to close, it's nearly impossible. Michael, I, I had a family of six come to me there two weeks ago, Michael. Uh, a, a woman who was a nurse and a, a husband and four children. The only place they could find in the dock was over a, a licensed premises, right? And for, the, for them there, with one toilet and three bedrooms, they were paying 2,500 euros a month. Hmm. They went to HAP and asked HAP for help, and HAP agreed they gave them so much money towards their rent. So then we really discovered that, that the, the licensed premises had a long-term lease. And the fact that they had a long-term lease and the fact that they didn't own the premises, the, the, the HAP refused to give the assistance. So the only way you're going to get HAP is that, that you, you have to be dealing directly with the owners. Now, the owners have at least said this, this, this pub or license premises for 10 years and they don't want to get involved. And rightfully sure they shouldn't get involved. So you're telling me now, like, first of all, paying 2,500 euros and this lady is, is, is travelling up and down as mm. a nurse and her husband had to stay at home to mind the four children. Travelling up and down to the Lourdes, is it? She travels up and down to the Lourdes, Michael, every day, Michael. A staff, a, a, a staff nurse. Michael, I already know, Michael, that she's yeah. a nurse, Michael. I don't want to, you know, she's, a, she's a permanent job in the Lourdes. Yeah. She's a nurse, and they're paying two... But she's obviously on the edge, and I suppose, uh, you know, I don't think when you go into a hospital uh, and you're being cared for by a nurse and they are so professional and they work so hard, I don't think you'd expect one of the nurses to be in that position. Michael, the four children, the, the children are all under the age of 10, right? Yeah. That's the fact too, Michael, is it's a licensed premises. There's music in this, this licensed premises nearly every night. 
the chairman maybe can get asleep at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. They come in to me and looking for help. I contacted HAP and HAP, I said to you, Michael, they didn't want to help. But the, but, the, but the rules and the regulations are there has to be the owner. Now, if you look at any town of any village at the moment, a lot of places are like the long-term leases. That means they cannot. Like they, 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 these, this family now is paying two and a half thousand cash out of, their, out of their pocket every month. Now, you're telling me, well, what would it must be on? 40, 45,000 a year. So you're telling me how your family is sick can afford to pay two and a half thousand euros a month. Like, I, I just read into the columns there recently. Do you know the Dow County Council had, had, low, had a landlord there of 56 million that was written off by the government there, all right? And they were paying a million euros a year back at interest rates. Like, they have land, they have an awful lot of land in Dundalk, Dunleo, Jordan, and everything else in the moment. Is. Like, they have land, which is causing no money whatsoever. They've got a planning office, which is the amount of people working in the planning office is, is unbelievable. Uh, and the government is throwing money right, left, and centre. Can you just tell me why are we not building more houses in these areas? We, we have the money, we have the land, we have the planners. And the Light County Council recently said at one of the meetings is there's no problem getting contractors and no problem getting developers. My problem is there's no accountability out there for anybody. Like as I said, I keep saying years ago, we haven't got enough business people involved in politics okay. and there's, there's no, no accountability. What, what, what do you mean accountability? I'm sorry, I didn't quite follow that. What I'm saying, Michael, if, 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 if you've got a load of land in yeah. the local authority, right, and you have planners mm. and you have money, mm. why are we not building houses? Yeah, why? And listen, during last week's uh, uh, meeting, do you know that, Michael, we have 4,200 houses in our stocks and... Uh, uh, over 3,000 people there are also in HAP. Now, you can imagine they're in HAP. They're paying probably an average between 1,500 and maybe 2,000 euros per month per hour. So that's 3,000 times that. Like, the amount of money, and it's, I call it dead money, mm. that we, we as taxpayers are throwing out there at the moment, is, and we're getting no return. Mm. All we're doing at the moment is, is pay, making but, uh, landlords okay. and people richer and richer and richer. I, I'm, still, I'm, I'm still just uh, a little bit confused. Forgive me, I'm sure it's me, Peter. Um, but you say the council has the land and the council has the money. The council has the builders and the developers, uh, but it can't build the houses. Why not? Why well, not? I'm not trying to be smart, but I have my own business for 25 years at the moment. I can't understand that at the moment. What they need to do at the moment is we need to, to get the local authorities to start building. They have the land, they have the money, and I'm telling you, there's an awful lot of contractors at the moment and developers that will come in and build these properties for you. The, the hardest part is getting the land, and the hardest part then is getting the plans and drawn done. We have that in all our local authorities. Mm. Like, like, I, didn't, I, I, I mean, like, there recently in the Low County Council, there's over two million euros I stand in in, 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 in in money that people won't pay for for, 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 for having council houses. Like to me, do you, do you call that credibility? That's two million euros that mm. the taxpayers are, are, are and as I said yes, it, it's And that's why landlords crazy. don't that's why landlords don't want hap tenants, uh, because if the hap tenant has to pay ten or twenty euro a month uh, and the rent is 2,000, let's say, or 1,000, if the HAP tenant doesn't pay the 10 or 20 euro, the landlord gets nothing. The council doesn't pay the landlord. And plus the fact, if, if, and if that goes on for a period of four or six months or 12 months, and then the, the, it, it, it's resolved, it's not backdated. So you can't blame the landlord there at the moment. Is. There's something seriously, mm. seriously wrong at the moment. Is. What? And, 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 and we grab this by the scruff in the night. Like, I, I'm not going to respond there. I, I, people coming in at the moment, it's rolling and crying. All they want is a, is a roof over their head. All they want is a home. All they want is their family to be safe. It, it's that much to ask all. I don't think it's much to ask all. 
And you look at the, and when you kids, all the development plans in the moment is, they're preventing people from building the countryside. And your farmers' sons and daughters coming here at the moment is, and there's land there at the moment is, and there's hundreds of acres of land. And there'll be refused planning measures because, because, because of, of the development plan, mm. because of ribbon. There's just always an excuse what's going to people from building. What's going to happen to the apprentice electrician? He's being evicted, probably uh, forgot to mention that. People would have heard you say it yesterday. Uh, and uh, he's nowhere to go, no prospect, because he's earning 400 which is not a, enough income to be able to afford somewhere to rent. So he's gone to the Simon community. So what will the Simon community do for him? Put him into a shelter or something like that? Yeah, that's what happened. He's actually presently in a the shelter there at the moment is, and his two siblings are without a family members. But that's not a way to go up there. Like, this, this fellow was in foster care and everything else. Like, this, this young fella is really trying to, to get on with his life. Mm. So I maintain there's two paths you go along. You can go over the education path or you can go over the apprenticeship path. And to me, they're, 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 they're having an apprenticeship, to me, is, is, is as good as having a degree there at the moment. This young fella is really, really trying to, uh, to, help, you know, to help himself uh, the further on. He wants to keep his family together. And it, it's just not happening there at the moment. And in fairness, Michael, uh, they have offered the money to help himself and the siblings find the property. But there's absolutely nothing out there at the moment. I mean nothing. It's got to the stage at the moment. It's, it, 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 it's crazy. And we're going to have to start lightening up the planning laws at the moment. Is and they, like, like for example, I had a young girl there. If I come into my, if I come into my, if I did the office, I was self and a husband and two young children, and uh, uh, they, uh, they were living with their parents, and the same two siblings living with the parents. You know what the council told them to do? To extend the house, build on to the house. Now you're not trying to be smart. Is they might have maybe three children or four children down the road, but the way out of it is just extend the house, build the house. Instead of letting them, uh, the, the, the blow of the land, the, yeah, yeah. Sort of maybe 50 years of the land or 100 years of the land, mm. they will not let them build on their family land. I, to me, Mexico, all they want to do at the moment is, you go to the Dublin, you go to Drawlidge, all you can see is, it's, it's going to be like Dublin, Belfast, Cork, all we want to have is high density. In the dogs that we in the last number of years, there was, a, there was a builder who came in to, come in to build 40 or 50 apartments, mm. and they were refused. Do you know why they were refused? It wasn't enough high density. So we're given either 80 or 100 uh, apartments men. They want to build more, build them higher and everything else at the moment. Mm. Can you tell me, is an apartment block a two-bedroom or three-bedroom no, apartment Peter, block, I, I grew up between two of... Uh the most notorious sets of flats in, in the country and I know the problems that go with them uh, and I thought that we were putting that behind us uh, and relegating that type of housing to history uh, but I, I've run out of time I'm going to continue the con- conversation with Minister Martin Hayden in a few moments time but thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning that's Independent TD for Louth and East Meath Peter Fitzpatrick Michael Reed on LMFM. Now we're joined by Minister Martin Hayden to talk uh, about uh, the €1 billion package for housing uh, that uh, the government has uh, announced. uh, And uh, as you know, it's going to give most of uh, that €1 billion away, hoping someone else will provide housing, which is probably not a bad thing, given that the government couldn't manage to spend €1 billion on housing over the last three years. 
morning, Minister, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. We were just speaking with Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick, who was telling us uh, about crowds of people coming into his constituency office, roaring and crying. All they want is a roof over their head. They want somewhere that they can call home. They want somewhere that they can feel safe. But that is proving elusive. I'm sure uh, you've uh, the same experience in your constituency office. That's quite the introduction, Michael. Good morning to you. Um, yes, I, there is no doubt we have huge challenges in the housing area and in my own constituency in Kildare, which I always think is very, very similar to Loud and Mead. We, we suffer a lot of the same strains being so close to Dublin. Um, Commuter-based counties with a, a lot of um, residents who, um, you, you know, are working in Dublin or, or nearby. And, uh, yeah, that puts huge pressure on housing um, and on our housing system. And, you know, we've seen a massive increase in our population because of the growth of our economy. And we've we've seen constraints in being able to, you know, deliver the amount of houses um, that we would like to. You have to build capacity. It takes time. We are making progress. Housing for All is delivering. We 30,000 new homes built last year. But we have to do more. And, you know, this is a number one priority for government. So that's why, um, you know, the additional measures announced this week and agreed by Cabinet. You have a very um, low threshold. You have a very low threshold uh, as a government when it comes to patting yourself on the back, don't you? No, Michael, but I feel I need to give a bit of balance because, you know, others will will have people believe that there isn't anything being done and that's not the case. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm here saying... Well, what sort is, of a country is it when uh, uh, a young apprentice earning €400 Euro a week has to live in a shelter? This is one of the stories we were hearing a moment ago of a text from someone here who's earning thirteen hundred, uh, who's earning thirteen euro an hour, uh, living in County Meath. Uh, the cheapest place uh, you'll get to rent if you can find somewhere to rent is thirteen hundred a month. So, like, I'm not for one minute saying we don't have challenges. It was the first thing I said that it is a really challenging space, and that's why it is a number one priority. For, for I know, but you were telling us about the progress that you were making, and I was saying yeah, uh, it's a really low, it's a really low threshold to be patting yourself on the back as a government. No, Michael, I'm telling you, there's thirty thousand people in homes right now that didn't exist this time last year, um, because of initiatives we brought in. We thirty eight thousand. Is that a good thing? That were like, are you are you, te- are you telling us that, that that it's a good thing that there's thirty thousand people who aren't on the streets that we should expect thirty thousand people to no, be on Michael, the streets? Because I I, I, I tell you I tell you something, Minister. I don't expect people to be homeless. I expect unemployed people to have somewhere to be able to rent, a, a, if nothing else. And I expect working people to be able to do the same, uh, if not to be able to afford a home. And that's why we are increasing capacity across all forms. But we've twelve thousand people who who are homeless in this country who are yeah, in emergency. Three, three and a half thousand children. It's an absolute disgrace. It's completely shameful. So it, it's it's really, really challenging for us. And that's why the additional measures we brought in this week, which is about reducing the cost of construction, there are some really obvious constraints here um, that whoever's in government is going to struggle to get around. And what the measures that we brought in this week, additional to what we're doing in Housing for All, is about tackling directly those constraints. So first of all, it's about reducing the cost of construction, the cost of, uh, the cost of building a new home. Secondly, the interventions that were agreed by Cabinet this week is about increasing the pace at which derelict and vacant properties are brought back into use and the increase in the grants there to €50,000 for a vacant property and €70,000 for a derelict property could well be that tipping point for somebody who's considering turning a property around to either live in or to rent out, which is just as mm. important. And it's also about government co-funding the construction of apartments uh, for affordable rental and cost rental because we have a significant number of apartments here that actually have planning permission and aren't being built because it financially doesn't stack up. So without the state coming in in a new form of public ownership, these won't be built. So like, really what I'm talking about here is the detail of, look, 
course there's huge emotion in this area. Of course I deal with constituents who are in positions that I don't want them to be in um, in, in terms of uh, get, getting notices and um, who are renting or who want to get on the property ladder and, and all the rest. But this is how we fix it. We fix it by getting through and, and increasing delivery across all facets. And I don't think it's inappropriate for me as a government representative to point out that we are making some progress. I absolutely accept we have to do more. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, I'm just adding that balance here that it is really important. Yeah. And, and you said you, know, you said it takes time, Minister. Um, uh, I, I suppose if you look at, at three years in time and the failure to spend three billion euro, isn't it a bit mad then that the government decides, well, we couldn't spend it, we'll give it away? No, like it's it's the it's the constraints that we face across. Like, if money could fix this, if if government could fix this with a magic wand tomorrow, do you think we wouldn't have done it years ago? Well, this government this this government can't fix it. That's obvious. Uh, and I'm sure if this government could have fixed it, it would have fixed it. But if this government can't fix it, uh, maybe somebody else should be given a go. So, Michael, the point I'm making about the constraints we face will be faced by whoever is in government, because. You know, what people struggle to understand at times is that, you know, just put more money out. Money is not our impediment here. There has not been a shortage of financial um, power. But this is one of the most at, basic at things housing. in life. Uh, people don't elect governments to provide excuses. No, but I'm not providing excuses. And it's why I said to you as well that in the context of any balanced debate, I think it's appropriate that I say, you know, some of the positives that are happening, the fact that we have 400 people a week are now able to buy a new home, uh, first-time owners, and they are being supported by the state in doing that uh, with the First Home Scheme grant. Um, so, you know, and like... I don't so, think anybody outside of government circles uh, believes it's important to state that. But it is. But, like, it's why? important to state why, why, why that anybody, it... any of your listeners driving around will see new housing built. Like, yeah, I you know, know that. I, 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 I don't I, challenge you back a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I know that, but, but, but I mean, it's a little bit like saying uh, there's great work uh, going on in the health service uh, and ignoring the problems. I, I mean, of course, there's great work going on in the health service. That's why we spend 24 billion on it. Uh, and I mean, there's billions gone into housing. Of course, there's great work going on in housing. But we still have a national crisis that has gone on for over 10 years at this stage with the uh, highest house prices, the highest cost for renting, more people uh, who are in emergency accommodation than ever before uh, and finding somewhere to rent an absolute impossibility as we've been hearing. Look, there's huge demand and ultimately what will fix this uh, challenge that we face, we can talk about all the different elements of housing there are, um, from home ownership to rental and all the rest, but ultimately it is about increasing supply. Um, and that's what we're doing. Um, we're building 30,000 new homes last year, but we need to do more and we need to get that over 40,000 houses a year. And you can't do that overnight. That You have to build capacity. And we have constraints. We have constraints in the planning system that we're addressing through a planning bill. We have constraints in terms of availability of labour because we are at fo- effectively full employment in the country. So, you know, we, we have more to do in terms of additional places for apprenticeships and the rest. Um, and building that capacity back in is, is really, really important. And also learning from the mistakes of the past. So, you know, when we talk about the um, surplus that we will mm. run in the economy, um, how we use that. You know, the Taoiseach has talked very clearly about um, an anti-austerity counter-cyclical fund. It's slightly away from housing, but it's not. Because if you look at why we're in the challenge we're in now, um, I was first elected in 2011. Um, the, the Troika were in charge. We had no money and we had to balance the books. Um, and that meant bringing in austerity, um, which really hurt, but it was the worst time to be doing it from a housing perspective. Yeah. Fianna Fáil campaigned a, 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 on the basis in the last election uh, that uh, they learned from the Fine Gael mistakes in housing. Uh, but Dara O'Brien uh, has probably got a, a, a worse record uh, 
to look back on than Owen Murphy had? You know, I've, uh, as I say, I've been a TD since 2011 and I've seen personalised attacks on probably every Minister for Housing that's been in the doll at that time from a number of different parties. And I don't think that really gets us anywhere to be talking about the individual personalities of the people. Um, we are all it's working the, really it, hard. It, it, the the individuals are the government's performance on housing and the point was that Fianna Fáil said it would right Fine Gael's wrongs. Yeah, but look, like uh, you know, I'm a Fine Gael TD and minister. What do you want me to say to that? Like, I, <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk about what uh, Fine Gael is slogan. I, here I think that's election. probably the point. I mean, what does anybody no, say? No, like, what what I, conclusion I, I, can anybody come to? I would disagree. And what I would mm. say to you, Michael, is that you know, whatever you do in housing, in terms of the interventions, and we have additional measures here agreed this week to the value of over one billion euro, where you know, um, residents in need who maybe have planning permission for a rural one-off house but haven't been able to build it because of uh, the cost, they now have their development levies gone. You know, th- th- it's going to be over €20,000 cheaper mm-hmm. for them. I'm not 100% sure what the levies are in Mead and Loud, but I know in Kildare, somebody with a rural one-off house who couldn't afford to build it but had planning permission, if they commence that construction this year, they will be able to do that for 20 grand cheaper. That's, mm-hmm. that will and there is no doubt that the package will result in more people being housed or providing themselves with their dream home, as the case may be. And that is a a positive. There's no taking away from that, but it'll still leave us in a crisis, maybe less of a crisis, but the crisis continues. So at the end of the day, Housing for All is delivering on the broader scheme. You know, as as I talk about the the 30,000 additional homes, additional social housing being delivered, and the most that's been delivered in years, and we're building up that capacity, it's still not enough. We need to do more. We absolutely know that. But these specific interventions this week is is about targeting the the constraints. And as I said to you earlier, there are lots of constraints. Um, And they're, they're not financial, but they are within our system. And... We're addressing them, each one of them, head on um, from from uh, streamlining our planning processes to making sure we get more labour into our construction sector, um, but also the impediments where people have a vacant or a derelict home. And up until now, they've just decided that it doesn't stack up for them to turn that into a property that can they can live in or they can be rented. Um, you know, increasing the grants to fifty thousand for a vacant property or seventy thousand for a derelict property cash straight to somebody who has that premises will encourage some of those and you know a very big bugbear for all of us is in the present housing crisis to see so many vacant and derelict properties there's always loads of reasons for that and I know this from my constituency work invariably there will be people in nursing homes there will be probate issues uh, and all the rest but some of those properties can be freed up and this is about getting those additional ones in on top of what we're doing for housing for all. Okay, Minister, I have to leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Much appreciated. Uh, that's Minister of State, Martin Hayden. Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, thanks uh, to Bridie uh, texting uh, the programme today. I can't read out your full text, Bridie, but I think people will probably guess what you're saying. Uh, um, but I was uh, amused at reading what you said. She says, I've always been interested in politics. I'm over 70 and I've never heard of the ditch. But then she mentioned somebody who she says should be thrown into that ditch and left to rot. Thanks, Bridie, for that. I'm sure we could all nominate somebody uh, along those lines. The Ditch, of course, is uh, this website uh, that has been reporting uh, on several um, members of government. Some of them have fallen on their sword in the ditch, such as Damien English and Robert Troy. Uh, Another text from somebody who says, take your your head out of the clouds, Michael. Nowhere to rent at all. Uh, And it's very unfair 
of you to mention drug and alcohol addictions as soon as homelessness is mentioned it shows what you really think tut tut says our listener thank you indeed I understand how you may have heard that but I'd have to argue the point Peter Fitzpatrick was talking about people sleeping behind Tesco in the car park uh, near a heater because it's warm there and I did ask uh, were there people who had drug addictions or alcohol addictions because you'll always have that sort of thing no matter what you do and people with mental health problems who sleep rough Uh, but the question is uh, is this out of of the ordinary, what you would expect and what is right to expect. Uh, if there's people that you can't help, you can only do your best and maybe charities would work with people uh, who are vulnerable people who sleep in the streets and you'll always have a certain amount of people in, in that situation. But when you're talking about an apprentice who uh, can't live anywhere and has to go into homeless shelter uh, or if you're talking uh, about uh, that nurse uh, who can't get HAP uh, although her husband and four children are living over a, a pub uh, and can't sleep at night and she's travelling from Dundalk to draw to, to care for patients in the Lourdes Hospital because the pub is leased rather than a, a freehold uh, if that's the right expression. Uh, there, there, there's just something wrong uh, and I don't mean to tar people with drug or alcohol addictions or mental health problems but you will always find people uh, who are in tough situations because of their problems. We're talking about people who don't have problems but can't live uh, and that is the problem if that makes sense. Peter Fitzpatrick uh, shouldn't be claiming about housing. It's a bit rich as Pad- Paddy Duffy because he was a member of uh, the party that caused uh, the crisis in the first place. Uh, John says Loud County Council can't afford to build houses but they can uh, find £12 million to refurbish Fair Street new offices. Also, O'Reilly's on West Street was bought for £8 million. John says, I'm sick of politics. Uh, another text uh, from uh, somebody, a WhatsApp message from somebody who says, I wonder if uh, the minister, this is Minister Hayden, who was on a, a moment ago, can guarantee that the pil- builders will pass on the savings, uh, the development levies on to uh, the house buyers. Time will tell. Time will tell. That's the hope, I think. Anyway, before we go, I want to uh, bring uh, some more uh, footage to you from Dáil Éireann. Tánaiste, over 2,000 people, uh, residents of nursing homes, died during COVID. And the government rightly and properly funded supports for nursing homes to the tune, I think, in December last of 150, 145 million euros. But the problem is that some of those homes like, for instance, on the HICWA website, Ratoat Manor Nursing Home received over €405,000 in TAP supports. Yet it's quite clear that the HICWA inspectors are not assured that this was a well-governed nursing home and there was extensive non-compliance over three consecutive inspections, September 21 to March 2022, some of them rated red or high risk and that the repeated non-compliance in infection control, medicine and pharmaceutical services, the rights of residents, governance and so on, I think it demands in this case a forensic audit of this whole, of the 145 million and in particular this particular nursing home. Serious concerns about uh, the Rathoth Manor nursing home being raised in the Dáil by Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd. He was putting that point to the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. I take your point. I think we need to uh, we need to treat the two issues in parallel. I, I think regardless of the efforts made or the success or failure in any specific home, we still need to make sure that there is state funding going there to protect the residents of, of those homes. I think in parallel to that, 
Um, we obviously need to take the patient safety issues, the regulatory issues, very seriously. Uh, and to that effect, uh, just last night, the patient safety bill finished its passage uh, through the Houses. It's going up to uh, the President now. And one of the critical elements of that, Deputy, as I know you were supportive of, is it extends HICWA's powers now to investigate individual patient safety issues rather than the power they had which was a general investigative power which has not been satisfactory to date. Alright, that's the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly he was responding to that question from Fergus O'Dowd who was calling into question uh, the COVID funding uh, for the Rathoth Manor Nursing Home given all of the problems about the Rathoth Manor Nursing Home highlighted in uh, the HICWA report uh, as we heard a few moments ago but that's where our time runs out for today thanks for listening as always Maggie Maguire Research Chris Murray was in the control tower I'm Michael hope you have a lovely long weekend and God willing we'll see you for our next programme on Tuesday morning at 9am right here on LMFM good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.